0: You're listening to 99th episode, a podcast about the stuff we like. Yeah, you're like mid-morning. And the sun hasn't even come up here. Really? Yeah. You have to live with the consequences of your choices. Uh, that's okay. I don't need to see you talk. So I've been um, uh, drawing a lot lately. It's been fun. I, I
1: noticed you're uh, your G.I. Joe uh what is it called like the whole october thing with drawing. jovember like... jovember okay yeah, yeah, yeah October is an awesome was name a... for it right
0: jovember <laughs> it's basically just do a drawing of a gi joe every day it's just uh, one of those silly twitter hashtag things that people do kind of like inktober would yeah. do a, a drawing every day in october
1: i read a whole story about inktober where somebody like the the person who first came up with it like actually copyrighted it so they could like try to profit off of it, and like, uh, yeah, I read this whole article about how they recommend like you know do the drawing, but don't get into inktober stuff because this person like not only are they trying to profit off of it instead of just like, hey, I said something that was a good idea, but they're also like um blatantly infringing on other people's copyrights with stuff, and' like, I don't know, I don't remember exactly, but it was pretty ridiculous <laughs> It's like, oh, man, made, made up, uh, you know, holidays and events and stuff. People are getting intense with these.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's.
1: <laughs> so when you get a cease and desist for Joe Vember in a week, uh, you you know what what's going on.
0: <laughs> I don't think that
1: that would happen. The Joe community is actually pretty cool. Yeah, you say that until Sergeant Slaughter so- shows up at your door and he's like, this is all I live on now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Pay me $20 for an autograph. <laughs> Maggot. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, that's pretty cool. How many of the drawings have you done? I, I've se- so it's funny because like, I've seen your tweets with the drawings. And I've literally been busy enough the last few days that I... Haven't even read close enough to be positive that they were your drawings. Oh, okay, it's just like, oh, Sean sharing a GI Joe drawing, Joe Vember. Okay, I'll check back on this later, and then I forget.
0: Okay, yeah, no problem. I I don't blame you. I never consider Twitter to be vital communication. If I have something important to say to people, it won't be on Twitter. <laughs> I guarantee exactly. that. I've done like five so far. I started a day late. I didn't start till November second, so. Today's like, yeah, today's day five. Uh, As of when we're recording, hopefully I'll keep it up through the whole month. My plan is to do a drawing of all of the characters that I want in the new six inch G.I. Joe classified line that don't exist Mm -hmm. yet. That's kind of how I'm deciding on who I draw and what I draw. But it was also just an excuse to start drawing again. And it made me really appreciate comics art from, from trying to draw again, because my goodness, it is difficult yeah just to <laughs> draw a character standing around or doing something simple like walking somewhere is so, so tough. And it, I always knew that there was so much skill in it. It's just, it's been so while since I've drawn that it's been a while since I've like viscerally experienced that, that, oh yeah, this is really, really tough. And, uh, it's, it's fun. It's, it's just, it's a, it's also fun because I feel like each drawing, I get just a tiny bit better also. Yeah, It's like I'll learn one or two little things that then they just they makes the next one just a little bit better. And that's really
1: cool. Yeah. That, that's a big thing with drawing It's definitely like you have to have some kind of aptitude for it. But then beyond that, like you can, you get so much better at drawing from practice, regardless of like your level of, you know, creativity or um, your artistic ability. Like my wife's an artist and like, I would never be able to do most of what she can do because she has that, you know, innate ability, but then she's so good at it because she also has been practicing it her whole life. Uh, she has her degree in art uh, on, you know, on top of just like, you know, making art literally her whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I'll never be able to do what she does. But when I was in high school, I like to draw, you know, I took art classes in high school. And then when I got out of high school, I did, uh, I, I went Towards an art degree for a while in community college before I got, I was doing computer graphics, so it's like I was doing you know computer based art, but then also like there were art classes associated with it that were you know more traditional. Um, And I did that until I got bored with computer graphics because like the projects were always design a CD cover, design a CD cover, and after a while, I was like, I'm tired of designing CD covers. This is
0: going to be irrelevant in 20 years. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I you just Yeah, I, I had that foresight, I guess. Um, but it, like, uh, the, like the one thing I learned is that by putting in the effort and doing it regularly and continually, it's amazing um, how much better you get just from, from that effort and how rewarding it is because you keep getting that little better each time. And, you know, it's like you put all this work into making something and then when you get it done, like you feel this sense of accomplishment and then you do it again and when you accomplish that when you get that same sense but then you're able to be like hey I feel better about this I feel like I did a little bit better and it really is a rewarding thing that's pretty it's really awesome to see you do that I I didn't even know that you drew
0: yeah well well I guess I was just going to say in theory but in reality I have an art degree I actually I I got two degrees one in engineering and one in studio art so you know for a long time in college art was like My life, and that's what I did. And Mm. I just, after school, became an engineer, and that really kind of dominated most of my free time, or it it really it dominated my professional life. So anything else I did would just had to be in my free time, and so drawing and stuff like that had to compete with everything else in life as like a just something to do with my time. And I just never really kept up with it the way I now wish I had. Yeah. The one thing that I am finding really nice and why I thought okay, maybe I can do this November thing is that it is a very set defined exercise. It's GI Joe, which I already like, so it's it's easy and it's just a month and it's just to do a drawing every day. So, you know, maybe some days I'm not going to have a lot of time and I can just do like a quick little something, or maybe some days I'll have a little more time and I can try to do a little more detail, but by being very set and specific, it makes it a lot easier to keep up with it. You know, it's and this is going to sound terrible, right? This is like one of those smart goals. I imagine you've come across smart goals yes <laughs> in in it's uh i forget what they all
1: specific measurable uh achievable realistic timely
0: yeah exactly basically having a goal that is defined meaning like a a defined action or uh defined thing that you do in a defined time and is something that can be measured so like running more is a terrible goal, right? But running at least two miles three times a week is more of a smart goal, so to speak. And so this... I didn't even know it, but this is like one of those smart goals because it's just draw a different G.I. Joe character every day
1: in November. How do you get your... um... Like, what are you using for reference, I should say? Like, are you just, like, looking up a Joe online and then, like, drawing the picture you see? Or are you, like, looking at a figure? Like, what, what are you doing to draw?
0: It depends. I'll usually look at a figure as reference for what their outfit is and what their accessories are and stuff like that. I'm not looking at anything else really beyond that. Or maybe I'll look up online some pictures to see what the original figure looked like if I don't have it. And that's about it. So it's actually, I'm using the action figures as reference, but that's just to like figure, okay, his hat looks like this. He has this type of weapon. He has pouches here, a backpack that's like this. Uh, You bullet bandoliers across the chest this way, and, and that's about it.
1: You know, so mentioning smart goals, which is funny because we've definitely talked about smart goals before on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, have you heard of the Kaizen method?
0: No, I haven't.
1: Uh, so I heard about this. There's a podcast called The Art of Manliness, and I think my wife was actually the one who told me about it. It's a cool podcast because, like, I always feel funny telling people about it because that name sounds very, like, clichely stupid. But yeah. it's really about being a good person. It's just focused on, on men be you know because that's who's being made for you know but i think i've come across maybe their website yeah they have a website like they you know you could like follow them on facebook or twitter or whatever stuff like that and um you know, the guy like i think he basically like writes blogs um and it like it's it's i think grown into something much bigger than it originally started as where it's you know whatever um but I I've listened to the podcast at times before. My podcast listening is always very bingy. Like I'll focus on one thing for a while and then when I get kind of bored with it, I move on to a different podcast. Like I'm not the type that keeps up, you know, daily or weekly with multiple podcasts. That's just not how I do it. Um but I've come across some really cool stuff in this uh podcast and oftentimes I've followed up, like he'll interview different people and they'll talk about like their books or stuff like that. And then I'll follow up with the books, and I'll be like, "Yeah, I got all I needed out of the podcast. This book, like, literally, is just adding fluff to exactly what they shared on the podcast. I didn't need anymore." Uh,
0: yeah, a lot of times books like that, which tend to be more in the like what nonfiction, self helpish type thing, or um, self help is probably wrong. Self improvement, yeah, I think, is yeah. a better way to
1: say it exactly it's like i could tell you the the concept in a paragraph but i need to make money so here's you know 200 pages or whatever yeah
0: they, they usually are often better as just like a one hour podcast yeah <laughs> which is funny
1: so this one i i never did follow up and read a book about but um or tried to i should say um but basically w- w- what it is and um like this is just off the top of my head so i can't tell you how much this is or what this is based on or whatever but Instead of making a goal that is too big. So, like, your example, there was run, you know, two miles twice a week or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. if that were my goal, I would never do it. Like, I can't run two miles. I can't run one mile. I can't go outside and run for more than probably 20, 50 feet before I start being like, okay, now I have to think about how much more I can do this because I haven't been running. So, the Kaizen method is you improve by one percent each day so the concept is you make your daily incremental improvement so small that there's no threat to it so like if you want to start exercising if you want to if you want to get to the point where you're running you know your first goal is to go out and go for a walk for five minutes and then you that's like such a small goal like five minutes is nothing you know like for for you or i that'd be easy to go do but then the next day you go, you improve it slightly. You know, okay, I'm gonna you know walk for six minutes, seven minutes. You know, you make it so small that the incremental increase there's no threat to it, and kind of the concept behind it is you want there to be no threat state to it, to where you're not having to convince yourself to do it. It's just like doesn't really take any of that effort to get over the, the threat state. Um, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the smart goal thing, especially you know like you want to start drawing again. You know you can draw. You've drawn in the past, but it can be very intimidating because you also are measuring yourself against what you've been able to do at your best. So to approach it, just like I'm going to do a, you know, this one small drawing each day. Like that's that's what's cool about months like November. You know, um, nano rimo for people who are writers. I've tried to do that, and that is way too intimidating for me. Oh yeah, um, and I. I kind of realized that I don't know how much I want to actually write, so I'm <laughs> like, uh, pass. Um Yeah, like, m- making it such a small goal that it's no big deal, and then just slowly increasing it from there, you know? It- it's really cool how it can apply to anything, too. You know, like, you have a... Ba- like, I have literally almost a thousand things on comicsology that i haven't read and hundreds of those are from free giveaways like the they had the Scooby Doo thing where they gave away like hundreds of issues and Black Panther they did it for um you know so that's a big chunk of it but i have like literally almost a thousand things on comicsology that i haven't read so if i look at it, i'm like i'm going to read all these that's way too big of a goal if i'm like i'm going to read one a day that actually might be too big of a goal especially since a lot of them are trades But if I make my goal like I'm gonna read one a week, okay, that's getting small enough that that's not too intimidating, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you know. So it's kind of you know helps you helps you get where it's it's easy to do, and but then you start there and you just like very minimally improve each day, and then you know that ends up being incremental growth to where you end up getting where you want to go.
0: That's a cool idea. Yeah, yeah, that seems more kind
1: of reasonable yeah i always that's... hated smart goals but... <laughs> it is it, yeah it's like i've always hated when i've had to actually like write write uh, not proposals but um like write plans for achieving goals because it, and this is actually why smart goals are useful because you'll realize that what you think your goal is isn't accurate because your goal has to be something that's actionable, and when you're trying to write a smart goal and you realize that you there's what you do to get from point A to point B isn't an actionable thing, then you have to realize that what you know you have to figure out what your goal actually is because what you want to accomplish there is some, something actionable, but we often just don't put our mind in the right place. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you don't say I want to be you know well read in comics, and then. You know you' you when you think about your actionable goal, like the way you get to being well read is by reading things, so your goal is actually to read things you know so you you shift it a little bit and then you you have something that you're actually aiming towards and it makes it a lot easier to know what you're you're doing it just is really irritating in business because uh it's boring,
0: <laughs> yeah, I know right <laughs> and <laughs> it's they always have these smart goals that we have to do and it's like my goal is just to do my job and do it well like just just leave me alone <laughs> that's all i want to yeah. do and that's all my job really is to do it's not to have these goals and do this or that it's like a game i have to play to come up with some random goal to accomplish but yeah. <laughs> really my job is just get all my work done get it done on time make it as correct as possible <laughs> like that's my job <laughs>
1: It Sounds pretty smart. Yeah. yeah. See, that's what I think. That's the smart thing to do. So a recent smart goal that I've had is uh, I started collecting basketball cards. I started collecting, and this, this is going back a little ways, but I started collecting uh, specifically. Somebody on Twitter mentioned uh, Metal Universe basketball cards from the 90s. So I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I went and like Googled around, and I found them. I'm like, those are pretty cool. And I found a Kobe Bryant card that the card design... Is him doing his like basketball thing, but it like the background. So like this one year of the of these cards were just like super interesting designs. Like a lot of the other years, are they basically just like kind of posterized the background and made it metallic. But this one year, they made these crazy designs. So it's Kobe it's... like in front of a Death Star looking thing. Okay, in the yeah, I was just
0: gonna ask: Is are these like the Death Star cards you, you showed? Yeah,
1: me? yeah. So I like I've shown you that one. So like that card I saw, I was like, oh my goodness. So I got that, and I wasn't planning on building it into collection. I just like this is amazing. I was kind of just starting getting figuring out like how I wanted to collect cards because I had just started collecting cards again from like having zero collection because I had sold everything before. And so that went from the, like okay, okay, that card's awesome to just being like I really like these. Like I like looking at all of them, even the players that are busts or that don't matter. It's like all the cards are nice to look at. So I just kind of slowly, like, okay, well, I'll start here. And I'm like, well, I'll keep my eye out for cards. And, you know, I'd snag, like, you know, some cheap ones on eBay here or there sometimes. And it's uh, grown to the point where now where I have the majority of that year of the collection. The two hardest cards to get cost-wise were Kobe and Jordan. Kobe got me started, so that was out of the way. The Jordan card was more expensive. Very very cool design. Um, like he's slam dunking a basketball that's on fire. It's awesome. Oh, that's cool. And it's like all planetary in the background and stuff. Like it's it's pretty cool. But yeah, so like I just kind of like I kept on setting different goals for myself. Like okay, I'm just gonna start by kind of getting what falls to me easily. So I would go into um, there's a card shop down in Portland. It's like an hour away from me, so I don't get down there often. But I used to go there regularly. And I went, I did, dug through his like he has bins and bins of ten cent cards. And I dug through and I found a ton of these cards from other years for 10 cents each. I'd take him a stack of like, I don't know, it should have been like 15 bucks worth of cards, but then he'll like charge me like 10 bucks for them, you know, stuff like that. So I got a bunch that way. And uh, recently on Twitter, I posted about my, where like where my collection was at. And I had taken the, the one specific year, 97, 98 with the, the best design And I spread them out in card pages to leave gaps for the cards I needed. So I took a little video flipping through it to kind of show off what I had. And I shared it on Twitter. And then the few people who kind of got me into this reshared it. So then all these people that I don't know saw it and commented. I had a bunch of people like, hey, can I help you with this? You know, so like I started sharing with people what I needed and different people just sold me cards for like ridiculously good deals because like their motivation is I want to help somebody build their collection and it's, it's not as much about the money, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with their help, cool. like I, I got hundreds of cards across all the, like they, the sets go from 95, 96 to 99, 2000. So that's kind of the range of years for these basketball cards. But yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. Cause I like, talking about smart goals, like my, my first goal wasn't to collect all of these. My first goal was to just grab what came across my plate. And then from there, it's like slowly come together more and more. And so, like, I've expanded from just, like, having the small amount of cards to, um, like, actually having to get a few smaller binders to organize them better. And I'm getting them all, like, set up to, like, start to actually, like, fill in the gaps of the collection. That's, like, one of the funnest parts of collecting, too, is when you, you get enough of it to where you can start, like, just kind of cherry-picking little bits here and there. Like, okay, I'll get these couple of issues of a comic or these couple of cards to fill this gap. Like, I love that part of it. Cool. Yeah, that's fun. That's all I'm going to make you listen about sports cards.
0: I find that the kind of more narrow, I set certain collecting goals, the more fun I have with it. Yeah. So it sounds like you've kind of done something similar, and the nice thing about setting like a really narrow goal is that you can always expand it really easily. You exactly. Because when, when you already when you start off from the point of view of I'm not going to have everything, but I'm only going to have this specific thing, it makes it easier to both increase that goal and decrease the goal because you don't feel like you're giving up ever giving up going from I gotta have everything to I'm only gonna have partial which is tough I think yeah. like it's it's always difficult to when when you're starting I shouldn't say whenever like I'm starting from I gotta I want everything. That first time to make that leap to, oh, well, if I don't get this, I won't have gotten everything is pretty tough. So giving myself the wiggle room to just not be in that position in the first place helps. I've I've always felt like.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Plus, like every if you set a small goal and then once you hit it, you expand it. Every time you hit it, you still feel that sense of accomplishment. Like, hey, I did my goal. You know, I, I met what I wanted to. Yeah, that's I mean, that's kind of what happened when I was collecting the X-Men comics is I, I, you know, I my bigger scope was to collect from ninety four to three hundred and little. So I I had whatever I had and then like little by little, I started filling in the gaps and closing it And every time I would fill in a gap. I'd be like that would felt like an accomplishment and then like 200 comics fell into my lap that essentially with how everything worked out, like I made Mm -hmm. money off of the deal that I acquired these comics in. So the 300 to 544 fell into my lap to where filling those gaps was, you know, it wasn't something big. It became something very small and attainable. And, um, yeah, it just like, it kind of grew from there. And the next thing I knew I had 94 to 544 and then I turned around and Sold them all so I could buy a computer for school. So there you go. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And then that felt like an accomplishment. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you know, we've we've been talking about all these delightful things, but these violent delights have violent ends, Paul.
1: Yes, they do. Yes. I love how we, we intentionally got all the nonsense out of the way before Westworld, even though I started this podcast by saying we're here to talk about Westworld.
0: Well, it's good because it was a tease. Yeah. And now we're we're coming full circle back to the quote unquote main topic of this episode.
1: Yeah. So, the topic of this episode is I watched Westworld season one. There's I think, believe there's three seasons. Um, did did the show end after three seasons, or is it still an ongoing show? Do you know that?
0: I do not know. I'm gonna do some surreptitious research while uh, we talk about this. Well, let's see. I'm s- the first, when I Google Westworld Season 4, the first thing I come up with, Season four's set photo showed that uh, character, blah, 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 blah. So that seems pretty clear. It's now reviewed, renewed for a, f- a fourth season. Okay. What I recall when I started watching Westworld is that there was like a five-season plan for the show that the showrunners had in their mind, the idea that this would be a five season show. And, and they kind of had in their mind mapped out this idea that it would be five seasons.
1: I hope they stick to that. I mm-hmm. We've talked about this before, but like a lot of stories need to be finite and I very much hope that they keep it to that. Like one, so it's attainable for me to watch it. Uh, but two, mm-hmm. I hate it when they ruin a story because they start spreading it out. Or because they get to the end of it, but then it's it sells well, so they keep it going, and they end up just kind of, you know, ruining what made it special because they're just trying to make more money off of it.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen with this. I think that this one is more of a hopefully we get all five seasons situation. Yeah, and I think
1: so. HBO is better about doing shows in a in a smart way like that. Like the this show is a story; it's not a you know, it's, it's not an ongoing that that needs to run indefinitely. A lot of HBO shows have been like that. I mean, really, if anything, some of my favorite HBO shows have gotten cut a little bit short. And then like when they kind of regain popularity through uh streaming or, you know, in the past D V D sales or whatever, um, they end up like popping back for like a movie. Like Deadwood is what I'm thinking of there. Like uh my wife and I really like Deadwood. We started watching that years ago now. Um because the starbucks that we worked at we had customers who were extras on deadwood so like we would watch deadwood and see our customers in it
0: oh wow that's cool uh,
1: yeah so that's kind of what got us going in it and then it it went three seasons and the last season felt like they really shut the door on it before it was done like you could just feel it it was wasn't the same as the first two and then years later they made a deadwood movie yeah deadwood's funny like i tried to rewatch it and the profanity was just like so ridiculously over the top. in it. That I was like, I don't really feel like watching this is it, it lost it for me. But yeah. So like I started watching West world because, um, I got an email a while back with an offer for half off a subscription to HBO max for six months. I was like, okay, I'll try HBO max. Now everybody's talking about it. And so I signed up for it, looked around. There's like, there's a lot of interesting stuff on it and, Usually with with TV, I'm like, oh, look at all this great stuff. I don't feel like watching any of it, and then I like I don't watch anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I, I got to push myself to start something because it's like you got to get hooked into something to like you know have that impetus to keep going. Uh, the first thing I watched on it was the um, the Woodstock documentary about Woodstock '99. Have you watched that?
0: No, I haven't.
1: It it was a a very interesting documentary. That was all the music that was it was centered around. Was the music that I was briefly into in high school, like right at the right time? And I'm kind of glad I was an age where I could get into that and get out of it rather quickly.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: uh-huh. but oh, that was that was a thing, man. Um, it was a very good documentary, uh, very stressful too because that was an awful event. So I watched that. I was like, well, okay, what else do I want to watch? And I looked around, kind of like tried dipping into a couple of things, um, and I, I watched part of the first season, uh, first episode of Westworld. And didn't finish it. And it kind of sat there a little bit. And I don't know what made me go back to it. was like, I'm going to try to push on on this. And I pushed on. And then, like a couple episodes in, I got hooked.
0: Cool. Yeah. I watched Westworld. I think similar to you, I got like a free month trial to HBO. Before it was HBO Max, they had like their HBO online service. It yeah. was essentially the same thing. And I think I got a free month of that, and I spent that month watching the first season of Westworld. This was shortly after the first season had wrapped up, and I think I I got that trial specifically because I wanted to watch the show, because it looked like something that would really interest me, because robots and AI mixed up with like a genre-type setting is right up my alley. Yeah. And... Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I I think I got into it pretty quickly. Like, it was pretty darn quickly that I got pretty compelled with what the show was all about and really got into it. So, I think it's fair to say, like, we're going to do full-on spoilers for season one uh, in this discussion. So, if you haven't watched Westworld and you're going to, we're going to talk about stuff that happens at the end of the first season
1: yeah, so if you haven't watched it, before we get to spoilers, I'll just say that basically what it's about is somebody made like Jurassic Park, but it's a western. So you can go into this world where all of the um, all of the the hosts, as they call them in the show, are AI. And They're robots. Yeah, yeah, you they can't hurt the guests, the the humans who are paying to be there. And the guests can do whatever they want. So you can kill them. You could do other awful things. Um, And basically, like, there's no bounds for what a a guest does. So guests get to go into this world and, you know, it's like Grand Theft Auto. You you do whatever you want. Like, are you straight-laced and you just try to do the the adventures? Or are you the one that goes crazy and, you know, kills and pillages everybody?
0: Yeah, I think a real-life Grand Theft Auto is the really the best way to put it. It's basically this immersive world of the Wild Wild West where all of the quote-unquote non-player characters, meaning the people other than the people visiting, are actually robots. So it doesn't matter if they get shot or killed or beaten up or this or that or whatever, you know else terrible things people do to other people because they're just robots. So it's like you can go there and live out your Wild West fantasies like crazy.
1: Yeah. Yep, that's, that sums it up. So if if you are interested in HBO shows in general, if you're interested in uh, in sci-fi Western shows, I guess, um, like definitely check it out. But uh, if you haven't watched it, now would be the time to stop listening because now we're going to start spoiling stuff.
0: The other thing I would say about it is that that's just the premise. Yeah. And from there, it tells, uh, what I think is a really interesting story about emerging AI. What does it mean to be alive? What is the line between what is just like a robot creation? What is an actual valid life and what happens to these robots when they're, they start to want more than they're programmed to be. And what does that look like and what happens and what conflicts start to emerge when these artificial beings start to exceed what they're, what they were originally designed for.
1: Yeah. And I, like to to me, the biggest, um, the biggest thing that this show is about uh, is it, it showcases or illustrates or makes us think about, who, you know, they, they stay in the show, like Westworld, the world shows you who you really are. Right. So if you're going there and you're making choices to, um, to, you know, kill people for no reason to, to rape, to do like all the awful things that are at your fingertips to do there, you're really revealing who you really are. Like, it doesn't matter that these aren't real people and i one of the things i liked about how this the show kind of wrapped up a step back before the very ending which made it interesting and like makes me interested to see what comes next but when they were kind of hinting at like uh the oh well they they're just not real you know like uh you get oh gosh i am so bad with names i really should have uh, written down some names the the blonde female character that's like kind of the main thread of everything or one of the main threads you know who i'm talking about
0: yes absolutely
1: yeah um when it shows that she just cycled right back to being on script, you know, going through her Dolores. Thank you. Uh, to, to being right, right back on her loop. It was when they revealed that will was the the man in black, right? So he goes through all this huge thing. And I also like side note, I really like how they screw with time in this and they don't make it clear with you that they're doing that. Um, because that's, that's a big kind of key to not being able to put the, a lot of these pieces together as you go is like, you assume the whole time that these are running at the same time, but they're not because it's playing with, you know, Dolores conflicting memories and how all these things are like, you know, not meshing together. But so like Will goes through his big adventure of discovery and, you know, he goes from like not wanting to do the bad things to, you know, being in love with Dolores and wanting, wanting to save her. So like he's driven by, you know, positive motives, but he realizes to do that, he has to start doing bad things because he's being forced to, because he's surrounded by bad people. Uh, Most specifically his quote friend, his soon to be brother-in-law as they're presenting the story who is one of the ones that flippantly is doing bad things to everybody because it's a game and it doesn't matter, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get that unveil at at, uh, at the end that, you know, they're just a robot, it doesn't matter. But, like, he's the best example where, you know, he made choices throughout because it doesn't matter if we're told that they're real or not. Like, he sees that there's something else in them, and at the end he questions that because he sees them go right back to their loop. But yeah, like, I'm always the type in video games that I can't do bad things just because I can. You know, like, you play Red Dead Redemption, right? Like, you can go down the route of, I'm just going to kill everybody, I'm going to do bad things, I'm not going to try to do the right thing as I go through it. Or you can go the route of, like, I'm going to try to be a decent person, you know? I always like I always go that decent person route because that's who I am in my nature and like I don't I don't want to I don't want to do awful bad things. That's why like that we talked about this before the Grand Theft Auto games. I'm just not interested in them because they're so centered around make the choices to be the worst person you can be. You know that's like what those games are celebrated for, right? So like I feel I feel like the show like the biggest central point of the show is that the choices that we make when when nobody's watching or when there's no consequence. I mean, like technically people are watching here, but, um, you know, like they even say like their, their whole goal is to make the guests happy. So it's like, you know, that when you're in the West world and you're, you know, getting it on with, uh, with one of the, the prostitutes, you know, somebody's actually watching you do it to make sure you're enjoying yourself, which is just weird and creepy too. But, (laughs) um, yeah, what, what you do to people when there's no consequences, you're not, you're not hurting a quote, real person, is still is who you are. And if you do those things, like you're developing yourself down those paths, like you're, you're diminishing your sensitivity to things that are bad and wrong by doing it. And like, that's something that I feel is, is very true period. And like, I think that that's the center of what the show is about. Interesting. Cause it, that
0: if you ask me what the show is about, I thought about it much more as, Basically, the robots rebelling and fighting back like I really think about it as, you know, I think a lot about Maeve's point of view, how she remembers having like a daughter in her memories, like that was a a memory that was implanted in her, right? in in that like in a former iteration she had a daughter and then she was reprogrammed to be something else but she like vaguely remembered that she had a daughter previously and that that was taken away from her am I remembering that right
1: yeah you are remembering that right but the thing with Maeve and this is part of that what I think was really great about how the show was written is right towards the end of it they show like they're building you up through the last like handful of episodes that she has outsmarted things. She has broken loose of the programming. But then they reveal that she's she's following script at that point. She's been scripted to do this. And so, like, it's insinuated. It's, it's never specifically said, but then when you see how the season ends. But um, it's insinuated that Ford actually programmed her to do what she's doing. So all the mm-hmm. things that she's doing with getting other hosts to join her and they're going, they're, they're going to break out. It's all scripted. And then she gets on the train at the end to leave. And she, like, you know, before that moment, like, right before she tells herself, like, my daughter was never my daughter. This isn't real. And then she's sitting on the train thinking about it. And then she gets off the train right before it leaves to go back. And that's, like, the last you see of that. It's insinuated that that was all scripted, 100%. So at no point did she actually make her own choice. She's still following script the whole time. So the season ends with... Ford, he has his grand final narrative coming up and he presents one story to them, which is a very kind of canned melodramatic story between, um, Dolores and, uh, what's the guy's name? The, the cowboy that like always has to save her. Yeah. Teddy. Teddy. There we go. I know it was a T name. Um, so you know, he presents that story to all the, the board members that are there but that's that's a that's a false front like that's not really his story his grand narrative is what we see like as that episode ends he set himself up to be killed like that was suicide you know he he set that up so he programmed everything to happen he changed the programming of the hosts to where they can kill people like so he takes away that and you see also the the man in black will where he he's so disappointed at the end when he realizes that the maze you know, as, as he kept on being told throughout the the, uh, the season, the maze isn't for him. The maze is for the hosts to try to discover that inner self and free themselves. But what Ford realized through the repetition of this, because like Dolores we see has gone through the maze over and over, we see that Ford realizes that the hosts cannot free themselves, that they have to be freed. And even then, like, they're still going to be following their programming but I think Ford recognizes that human beings that are not created by human beings still essentially are, you know, like, what's the difference? Like, you know, the, the theme of what makes us different than them is still like a very much a big theme of it. But I think that Ford realizes throughout it that, you know, all they need is to be freed and then the whole dynamic is different. So I, I don't know what comes after this. Like, I believe you've watched more after me. So like, you know, I, Like, I'm just looking at this one segment of the story, but I just, I love how they wrapped it all up. I do feel like the, at the end, they had a lot of like convoluted for the sake of like not making anything too apparent. Like some of the stuff got a little bit more convoluted than it needed to be. If you wanted to like present the cleanest story.
0: Like what specifically?
1: I may not have a good specific example, but there's definitely like they, they had some like red herrings in there that were just so like blatantly red herrings but it did a good job at the same time like even though it was blatant of keeping you from really just honing in on what was coming next because a lot of this stuff as it got revealed i was like yeah you know i could have figured that out if i if i wanted to like there were definitely signs pointing to that but the show did a good job like i think with those red herrings uh of making them obvious enough in ways that it, it's not a show that like you look back on and the only real positive you got out of it was the surprises. Like that's not the center of what the show is about. So I think like having those, those like obvious kind of like misleading things puts you in a place where you're not trying to figure it all out before it happens. So like the surprises as they came was like, oh yeah, you know, that surprise makes sense. So it's not about the shock. It's about Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that just snapped a piece of this together. And, like, I feel like I could go back and watch this first season without being like, oh, well, this is so much less exciting because I know this happens. and I know that happens. The show is really about the, you know, exploring the the nature of, you know, the hosts. Like, are they sentient life that deserves respect? And the nature of the guests, um, you know, do, you know, do we make ourselves who we are by making these choices, even when there's no consequence to them. Like, I think those are the two like real dynamics of what makes the show special and the two themes of the show and the way they play the surprises to keep it interesting, like has done well to where it's like, there's, there's obvious misleading things and there's, you know, but you could follow the trail and things and figure some stuff out. Like it didn't surprise me that will was the man in black, but I also wasn't trying to figure that out before I was told it.
0: That's interesting because I think as the show was coming out, a a lot of people saw it as kind of a puzzle. And this is kind of interesting. I think that it seems like a lot of shows lately are presented kind of like they're a puzzle for people to figure out. And there are clues in there throughout that Will is the man in black. Yeah. Like when Will shows up to Westworld, the logo for Westworld is different than the logo we see in the modern timeline. Mm -hmm. And we we see the same, uh, whatever they are, the same uh, NPCs like reused for different stuff between those two timelines. So there are little hints here and there that would help you figure it out. Uh, I do agree, like, the puzzle part of it isn't necessarily the most compelling. I think if it was just about the mystery of figuring out that, oh, whoa, Will's actually the man in black, that it wouldn't be as compelling of a show. Yeah. And it's it's more that that's just kind of one intriguing part of it when really the, the human drama of what's going on is much more compelling.
1: Yeah, you know, it's so funny you say it that way, too, because, like, one... Like, puzzles are are enticing. That's why shows are, like, there's always going to be some element to that. But it's like this show even plays with that because the show is a show about people trying to solve this puzzle. Will is trying to solve a puzzle to find some deeper meaning the whole time. And it goes to show that when something is only centered around solving the puzzle, when you get the puzzle solved, you discover the puzzle was just a puzzle. There's no deeper Mm -hmm. meaning, you know? So it's the same thing with a show. If a show is just about figuring out what the surprise is then that's where there's, like, no rewatch value, you know? It's like, okay, well, I know what's going to happen now, so why watch this again? So it's, like, the way you put that was perfect, because the show presented itself as a puzzle. It was based around a puzzle, you know, at least for, like, one of the major threads of the whole thing. And the show shows when you get to the center of the puzzle, it was just a puzzle. And when you figure out the surprises of what's happening in the show, they're just surprises. There's nothing deeper there, you know? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that the way that the first season wrapped up really, I, I thought it was, it was really exciting because it was this, you get this idea that the robots are exceeding their previous programming and kind of coming to life, so to speak. But then you realize, well, maybe they're not, and or maybe they are, But people don't know, and it it leaves it very unclear to me or unresolved, like, how much was Maeve just following her programming or how much of it was that um, Dr. Ford allowed them to because uh, they, they had, like, what was it, this reveries idea that he programmed in where they remember part of their past, and mm-hmm. it was this idea that maybe this will allow them to grow into something beyond what they already are, you know? It, and it's not really clear how much of it is just purely they're following their algorithm versus how much is it kind of like a unleashed chaos, kind of? Like, how much is he just kind of un- unleashing the 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 levies and letting it just flow as it will or how much of it is like very specifically programmed I don't think it's it's it wasn't clear to me
1: yeah there was a lot that was left on undefined and I, I think very intentionally so in a very good way like Maeve is the perfect example where they clearly showed us that she was scripted like up to and beyond a certain point of the story. Like when she's talking to Bernard and he says, no, like it says here, you did this, you did this. Here's what you're going to do next. And he tells her like the next couple of steps of what she's going to do, but it doesn't tell you up to the very last second. So you can't yeah. be completely sure. Like is she left with a choice or does she make a choice at some point there? Uh, What was uh what was Ford's partner's name? I know it was an a name. Was it Andrew or something like that?
0: Oh, yeah, it was um, Bernard.
1: Bernard was modeled off of his partner.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Uh, I forgot what the original partner's name was then.
1: Not the biggest point of it, but I I think, like, to me, I think one of the biggest surprises in the show was not that Bernard was a, a host. Like, that was a surprise, definitely. Like, I didn't see it coming. I think one of the biggest surprises was that he was directly modeled off of Ford's partner. And that, like that story element, I think was one of my biggest surprises in the show, and it was just like very, like very well done. You know, it it went to show that a lot of what was programmed into the hosts, Maeve's longing for her daughter and the pain that was there, Bernard's pain with his his losing his son. You know, that story was taken from Ford's partner. You know, Ford's partner's experience very specifically, but then it also mirrored ford's pain at losing his partner and it was more than just like a, a battle for power for what they did but like he lost something there and you know there was like some poetry in how the show ended with ford intentionally like committing suicide through the host basically just like his partner did in this you know he like he said at one point um something to the effect like he says they say that you know uh if it something to the effect of if it takes you ten years to correct your mistakes, then you're a great man. Like he makes you know he makes that statement at some point, and then he says it took me thirty five years. So I think the way that they wrap it up, where he sets about this new uh, story, misleads all the board members to be there and think it's one thing, but then the real story is that basically he is programming the hosts to be able to have more control over themselves. And, um, you know, are they actually going to have free will? I don't know. We'll see what what happens next, but like he commits suicide through his hosts to launch this off. And it's kind of like, you know, he's following the same pathway and realize, you know, he realizes all of his wrongs and he realizes where things went wrong. And, you know, he doesn't want to have this control, like the whole show up to that point, like he makes you feel like, I'm in control of everything and I want it. I want that power. But in the end, like I think a lot of the power he's exerting is because he knows that he has to, to accomplish the things that he sees as being the right choices of what to do. It's not just a power play. Like you see in other uh, characters in this show, like the one, like British guy, that's a designer. That's like the big, you know, crybaby about
0: how he's an artist
1: (laughs) and all that, you know? Yeah. Like, Ford is very different than that guy. It's not just that Ford has power and he's flaunting it. Like, Ford is trying to do something grander. Like, it's um, it's like when you watch The Sopranos and they have a run-in with some little street gang and you see, like, the difference in power. It's like, yeah, we're not pretending that we have power and trying to take advantage of weak people. We actually have power and you just screwed with the wrong people, you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
1: Yeah. There's there's so much about this show that just was like very impressive. Um. You know, let alone a lot of surface stuff that's enjoyable. Like you know, you said um having a a, a western with the sci-fi element. Like that's just a, a fun story place to be. It's a good show. I like.
0: Yeah. It. So I haven't watched much of season two. I think I watched the first like maybe two episodes or so.
1: Okay. So you're not yeah. much ahead of me then.
0: No, I'm I'm really not. Like I'm I'm barely ahead of you. Uh, I don't really know too much what happens because it's, it starts off just kind of right afterwards kind of investigating what happened at mm-hmm. the end. And it, uh, it didn't suck me in quite immediately, but I think it's kind of similar to season one. I imagine that it would take a while to get into the rhythm of season two. And it was also doing some, I think, some weird... Timeliney jumping type stuff that uh, takes a lot of focus and concentration to understand what's really going on. Yeah, and I just didn't have that at the time that I was watching it. So it's something that I still need to get back to and and watch. W- one of the threads that I really liked about it is that they just hinted this at some point where. Somebody from like the board of directors shows up and says, like, do you really think that these parks is is what this is all about? And kind of hinting that there is a much longer term plan for these hosts. Yeah. That this is just kind of like what they're doing now is the Netflix sending out DVDs by mail <laughs> part of the business. <laughs> where they're planning to grow it into something much bigger and more expansive. And it's not really clear what that is. Is it going to be like hosts integrated with society or is it going to be backing up people into hosts so that people's consciousness can live on forever? You know, I, I think that those are... There's a lot of possibilities there about what this is about, but it seems like Ford is kind of an antagonist to that and trying to set up something different from what the company is trying to accomplish with this. And that's what it seemed like was kind of this bigger, larger conflict at work.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a good point. And, you know, Ford Ford's like the true artist or creator in this. Um, and it, you know, it comes down to like, you know, when it, the, the line you're referencing everything is always about war, right? Like everything is about making money and you make the most money off of war. So like everything that's designed with like creative and beautiful intents that can be turned into a weapon gets turned into a weapon. That's just like cliche with everything. Like every story goes that way. Whenever there's any kind of inventions happening, it's like you have somebody that's, how am I going to use this to, to make money off of it? And the answer is always you make the most money off of making it a weapon, you know? Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like, uh, okay. So I don't think like my thought with it wasn't just that they're, they're going to make a grander theme park or, you know, something like that. It's not, it's not about the entertainment experience. It's like, they're using this to develop AI that could be used in a different way. And they never said this, but like, to me, the AI always comes down to that. Um, it's always going to come down to like, how can we use this in militaristic ways? Cause that's, that's where the real money is, is people taking advantage of that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I liked about the show a lot, too, is, uh, like, I think you get to the end, like, whenever you're watching a, a show, whenever you're reading a book, like any kind of a story, you're always trying to like, who who am I rooting for? Like, whose side am I on? Like, whose side are you on in this show? Like, is anybody actually good? Uh, what makes people good? Like, it, it really makes you question that a lot. Because through the story, most of the story, you're rooting for like Will, for example will is just trying to do the right thing he's trying to like he sees this this girl that's supposed to just be a robot that there's something more to her and you know he's trying to make the right choices even if this is you know like a pretend world and then as you start to realize that he's the man in black and the man in black through the whole show you're like this guy's a dirtbag like i just want to see him get get what's coming to him and then you see those things run right into each other where it's the same person so it's like okay I was rooting for him, and then at some point I realized like maybe maybe he's not who I thought he was. you know what mm-hmm. about like Dolores, who is uh, you know presented as a sympathetic character through like the whole thing, but then you start to see the things that she has done, but she was programmed to do it. She was controlled to do it, but that's also who these who who these hosts are. they're they're things that are programmed. So is she good or is she bad? You know, is she just doing what she was programmed to do? I mean, she still killed everybody. Like, she was bad to these these people that she killed, even if, she, if they were also hosts. Like, so it plays a little, you know, then it's playing with that. Like, you know, do we give respect to the hosts' feelings when they're harmed? If so, then you're at this dynamic with, like, Dolores, where if we, through this whole show, we've respected feelings. You know, feeling on her side of things every time she's harmed, and the people that harm her are bad, then we see that she's harmed all these people. Does it matter that she was programmed to do it because to, she still harmed them? Like, you know, if a voice in somebody's head tells them to kill you, you're still dead. Like, do you go, well, they were told by a voice in their head, so it's not really their fault, it's the voice's fault. And, like, no. Like, it. <laughs> That wasn't okay, right? So, like, there's at no point in this that they don't let you feel conflicted with every single freaking character in the show. Like, yeah. Like, no character is left without conflict. Like, at the end, you're rooting for Maeve to get out, but Maeve did a lot of awful things to get out. Like, a lot of the people she killed to get out were, you know, were, were innocent. And even if you, like, trump up ways to make them guilty and deserving of being killed... Well, everybody deserves to be killed at some point like in this story for that because everybody is doing something bad to somebody else.
0: You know who I really root for? I think who I root for is the, the hosts. And what I root for is that they will get agency over themselves. That is, I think, what I really picked up on is this idea of will Dolores and Maeve be able to have agency over themselves or will they always be a victim of their programming? And that's, I think, w- what I am rooting for in the show is that these, all these hosts that don't have agency over themselves will gain agency over themselves. Yeah. And I, I think that, to me, that's what I find myself rooting for. And they do a really good job of thinking they're getting more of that and then taking it away and then giving some more and taking it away or giving some more and then realize, Oh no, it wasn't them getting that at all. It it seemed like they were, but they're really not, you know? And I think that that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. and You know, I think that's exactly where I think we're supposed to be with the show at the end of season one or even throughout season one. Um, Because, you know, if, if you're, if you're empathetically connecting with, the characters like that's what you want to see is the people who are being subjugated to gain their autonomy but think about game of thrones where danny is the one you're rooting through through like the whole show
0: and then she turns into a monster and
1: she's the worst because you root for it but at a certain point like if you keep on gaining power which is what you have to do to gain any kind of freedom and autonomy if you're gaining that power like at some point you have to start making decisions of whether you're going to keep on pushing for more power and subjugating other people or stop pushing for power. And when you have that momentum, you know, typically you're going to stay with that momentum. That's what happened with Danny and game of Thrones. So as we see, assuming this is the way it goes, as we see the hosts gain autonomy, the majority of the ones gaining power are going to start abusing that power. They're also not hmm. used to being altruistic. They're not. They're not doing this with positive intent. Like they're doing it to gain their independence right now. But think about like especially the ones who are able to do this. They're the ones that are are their character is to be the most conniving and manipulative. And I mean, Maeve like that. That's who she is. Like her whole character is around that. And like in the scope of like who she was programmed to be as the um like the matron of. But you know, group of prostitutes. It's a survival thing. She's trying to survive with a lot of people who are more powerful and more dangerous around her. And she has to be that to survive. And we accept that when she has these limits to her power because of the dynamic of like, and I'm talking of the Western sense, not of the host sense. But as, as she, as a host gets those freedoms and gets control over those things, her character isn't going to magically become good you know, she's going to push for more of what she wants. And she, she knows that to truly have power, which is how she'll protect her freedom. She's going to have to be like viciously crush anybody who threatens that. And that's where you go the route of Danny and you become more and more willing to choose to do awful things because it's, it's what you do to like protect your power, to grow your power.
0: I, I think that, I want her to get to the point where she has the ability to choose if she's going to be that way or not. Yeah. And I don't think right now she has that ability to, to choose. So that's, I think really what I want to see is her get to the point where she can choose whether or not she's going to be that way or not.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's where we're supposed to be right now. I'm I'm in the same place. I want to see that. And then what'll probably happen is as we see that, Then we'll see the dynamic of the people that we were rooting for. Some of them are going to become more evil, and then we're going to want to see them get beaten by somebody else. And then, you know, that's that storytelling.
0: We'll see. Or it could. the thing with the show is it could spin off in some completely other wild direction altogether. And I I don't really know because I haven't gotten too far into Season 2, but it could just totally spin off in, in absolutely weird ways. And that I think would be pretty interesting also.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's what's so good about the show is you really don't know. Like, I think they did a really good job with the first season of not doing the obvious things and they did enough obvious things to keep you from figuring out what unobvious things they were doing, you know? Yeah. All right. Well,
0: I think that's a place to wrap up. Thank you for joining us for the five-year-old show review (laughs) episode. (laughs) But yeah, I I really dig this show, so I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it. Me too. All right. Well, you know where to find us. I am on Twitter at Bad Deacon. My friend Paul here is on Twitter as Who's Paul? And if you found this episode, you know where to find more. So keep on coming to the well to get more of your 99th episode.